This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly is starting right now. Breaking news. So on the heel of Hurricane Harvey, now we have Irma coming. And I also have an interview today, a quick little interview to to update us on what happened in Harvey with Vince Moffat from Team Rubicon. And they were using their boats in Houston and other parts of Texas that were affected by Harvey, affect rescues and and help do some volunteer management, uh, spontaneous volunteer management and and whatnot down there. So after this, we'll be talking to... um, to Vince. So, Irma. So, Hurricane Irma, one of the strongest storms ever recorded in the Atlantic, hit the Eastern Caribbean on Wednesday with winds up to 185 miles an hour. That's the strongest winds that have ever been recorded in a hurricane. There is no such thing as a Category 6, but if there were, I guess Irma would be it. With two confirmed deaths in the French Caribbean and also um, it hitting Puerto Rico, and there's unconfirmed third death. This is now officially a killer storm, and that's just the start, okay? The Category 5 storm began lashing Puerto Rico and is threatening the havoc and destruction in the Virgin Islands. The Dominican Republic and Cuba is also at risk. President Trump has already declared a state of emergency for Florida, Puerto Rico, and the United States Virgin Islands. The storm is expected to reach Florida on Sunday, potentially causing catastrophic flooding. So much so that the um, Miami Dolphins versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, has been canceled or postponed. And uh, we'll hear more from that from the NFL. Barbada is devastated, but Antigua is spared. Early on Wednesday, the Prime Minister Gaston Brown of Antigua and Barbada said his nation has been spared the worst of the hurricane, declared in a statement that the essential point is our main infrastructure has stood up to our country and can resume normal life within hours. He went as far as to add, I dare to say that no other country in the Caribbean would have been so, as well prepared as we were. But this turned out to be inaccurate. While the damage in Antigua was not as severe as expected, Mr. Brown announced in the afternoon that 90% of all structures on its sister island, Barbada, had been destroyed. And at least one person was killed in that country. So when the Prime Minister made his first statement, communication with Barbada was impossible. It was not until later in the day uh, that the extent of the devastation became clear. Nearby St. Kitts and, and Nevis, Commissioner Irene Queeley of the St. Royal Christopher and Nevis Police Force said that the text message that was sent to the reports were encouraging. Not too bad at the time, he said, but still plenty of rain, plenty of uh, strong winds. So that's the damage that, that Irma has already done as of date, and we'll be expecting to hear more about stateside here on Saturday and Sunday as the storm gets closer. Guys, this is our first back-to-back storm like this in forever. I know that we're going to be stretched thin out there. Those of you that are uh, emergency managers in, in other states, uh, reach out to your sisters and, and brothers in, in the other states out here. California, we're going to be praying for you guys. If you need anything, please feel to reach out to us, and we're here for you. Now on to the interview with Vince Moffat. So Vince, tell me a little bit about what happened and how you guys got invited to the game and, and uh, what conditions on the ground were like when you got there and what the kind of the spirits were the people. So uh, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Well, I'm doing good, Todd. Thanks for having us on here. Um, you know, I just got back last night, uh, flew back from, from Houston and 
you know, this, this has been interesting. You know, I, I've been a FEMA task force leader and have responded to, to other hurricanes through, you know, with FEMA. I've been to a lot of floods through my job, previous job as a firefighter. Um, I, I retired from a, a fire department as a battalion chief in 2010. But most of my hurricane experiences and responses have been through Team Rubicon. And, and we haven't ever done a reactive water rescue, swift water response domestically. Now, we have done some reactive responses, responses internationally that we had thought might have involved a little bit of flood rescue. Um, however, you know, the majority of them turned out to be, you know, medical missions mm-hmm. going in the Philippines being one of them. And then obviously that was, that was one that I anticipated that might have some water rescue, but it, it didn't. And so we had talked and toyed about the idea um, before um, when I was the director of field operations at Team Rubicon, it was something that I was interested in, but, but, you know, it's hard to get into that game. And one of the biggest issues we have with Team Rubicon is we have a lot of people in our base, but, we've grown so fast trying to vet and keep these people trained and credentialed and all that has always been a challenge. So, right. you know, we, we try to put most of our interests where we, we can involve most of our members, where we can get more of our veterans out, more of our members out, which has been this, this more of this uh, recovery phase where we go out and do muck outs and disaster management, um, spontaneous volunteer management. So when this bill came up, um, really, we knew it was going to be large, um, a, a very large, probably a lot of damage, which it was, and probably a flood that was going to uh, be a, a much larger response than we had to Hurricane Katrina with more water, more damage, more, you know, miles covered. And I was, it was Sunday, and the director of field operations called me about noon and said, hey, we want to do this. Are you interested in, in going? And, and really, we put it together from that point on which included purchasing boats. We had equipment purchased through the, our, because our Philippines response, all other responders had their own PPE. And I uh, just mm-hmm. gearing up and trying to, to get this model. And we probably would have never done it if it wasn't for the, the scope and the fact that Houston opened up an open invite to everybody and said, hey, if you have a boat, come help. Right. And so that was kind of, kind of the opportunity for us, you know, to, to get in there and not have to work with being invited. Because, you know, one of the things about Team Rubicon is we do want to do things um, correctly, and we do want to make sure that we get invited to do whatever we're going to do. So we saw this right. as an opportunity that one, we can help, and two, you know, that was the open open invitation to us. How was it coordinated down there? Like I heard on the news, I know we did a little bit of stuff over here listening to the Cajun Navy. How did the coordination come about, and how did you get your jobs? And we worked many different angles, and that was it's always been kind of my mo is to make sure and try to follow the official channels and get tasked and get information from them. But there's a lot of information that comes through on the grassroots organizations that um, start up as well. So when we first got in there, we have connections with the Houston Fire Department through the union, through other relationships, some of our members and stuff. We could not get tasks from them because we were an an, an NGO. And, you know, even though we went in there with a NIMS, basically essentially a NIMS type two uh, swift wire assets, but it's the closest thing I could say. They and we are the closest thing to a public service organization because our veteran and first responder base, is, right. they still did not feel comfortable giving us dispatch information to, to be able to send us. So we, so we weren't able to, to go in with the Houston fire department there or the, the, you know, emergency management, but we did fall in with a couple of different organizations that one of them being the Cajun Navy, the other being the Texas Navy. And then there was a couple of groups that were basically setting up the you know, collection points for goods 
and they were also dispatching local resources. So they would get information in, and the Cajun Navy developed a Google map that people could call in, and I believe it was the Cajun Navy. I might be mistaken there, but they would call in, and or they could get online and put in their request, and it would populate the Google map with an address and what their need was. So we were using that um, a lot, and you can go through, and I can send you the link. It was pretty amazing, but the problem with that real similar to crisis cleanup for the recovery work is if someone goes in there and they search that address or they go in and try to, to take that address on and they don't clear it out, it remains in the system. So right, right, right. Out, yeah, so people weren't clearing out this information. So what you find is many people were going to these addresses trying to clear them out and they weren't going back into the system and actually saying, hey, no one was there or the per- we had pulled the person out. So that definitely, I, I think one of the problems we ran into was the coordination of that. So we were, t- we were jumping with we a lot of grassroots stuff and we we're using another thing that was kind of neat was there's a, an app called Zelo. Have, were you listening to any of the stuff with the Cajun Navy on Zelo? Yeah, I was listening to a lot of it. I did hear some of the coordination efforts and some of the complications that they're having with clearing some of the stuff. But overall, I thought they were doing a pretty good job for not being professional dispatchers and trained, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, I think that was a great tool. And, and they were using that, and we got on that, and we actually ended up making Zelo channels for our teams um, because we didn't have, you know, any frequencies that we could use down there with our, our radios. So we were using the Zelo app in addition to, like, other forms of comms to be able to communicate back to command, communicate with each other, and to keep some situational awareness. Additionally, we had, you know, our Palantir function intelligence unit was was in play and so they were tracking all the boats and we would get calls into our intel unit of hey there's a you know someone who's trapped or there's we we're working with americares where people were calling in them and saying hey i'm a diabetic i need insulin and so they'd send us the address by watching in dallas even seeing where we're at mm-hmm. and saying, hey you got an address close to you can you take this call and we would go check on those people so that was another way that we were able to do it and then i'll just say finally what we ended up doing is we ended up Going into Beaumont area, after the, the roads were opened there, we were one of the first teams in there, and we teamed up with the Jefferson County Command Post and actually ended up working in Jefferson County, which is Beaumont area, and we tasked, we, our job was tasking all the spontaneous, unaffiliated um, volunteers with boats with jobs in there, working with the, you know, the, the command, and that ended up being really efficient. We did a lot of search and rescue. We ended up going through and searching areas and then marking houses because they hadn't been marked yet. And that's right. kind of how we wrapped up our our response. Hey, real quick, on the marking of the houses, I know there was some confusion on that. And I saw some chatter on some of the threads and whatnot. And the chief of Houston Fire Department basically stated at one point that they weren't going to mark homes because they didn't want looters to come in behind. And then it looks like that might have changed. What was the the scuttle on the ground as far as that goes? Were people marking originally because of that, or it seemed a little confusion? Yeah, you know, um, we didn't mark, and we didn't see any markings in Houston at all. So when we were working in the city of Houston, in some of the surrounding areas that we worked at, there, that we didn't mark. And you know, basically, we were just we were going through neighbors doing what we call a primary search neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. We we're doing a primary search where all we're doing is telling, yelling, blowing our whistles, using our bullhorns, anything we can to get people to come out um, because these areas, the, the streets are submerged, but for the most part, the houses, the water receded to where the people were still there. And we check with them. You want to go out? Some of them did, some didn't. We wouldn't mark those houses. Right. Now, now, Beaumont okay. was different because the houses were still, you know, 
submerged up to the first floor, several feet. You know, I think five feet was pretty, you know, in a lot of the areas, pretty normal. People would be on the second floor. We would check the attic spaces, things like that. But we were tasked by the Jefferson County Command to go ahead and mark those houses in that area. So I think it was just that probably like even like in Hurricane Katrina, as they transition into the different aspects going on later and the different municipalities and counties and stuff having different um, philosophies on that. What do you think of Irma coming right behind the tails of uh, Harvey? Well, man, I'll I'll tell you, it's crazy. You know, we've never had two back-to-back Category 4 storms hit, and Irma now is a Category 5. And it actually, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen, I haven't been able to follow too much on the the storm, but from what I've heard and have seen, it's actually, the wind speeds are beyond what the top of the Category 5 scale is. So I think it's going to be crazy and devastating. Um, You know, we're gearing up for possibly water rescue ops for that, if it's going to be as bad as what they say it is. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are, you know, have said the worst case scenario for any storm is for Miami to get hit by a Category 4 or greater storm. Could be one of the worst scenarios, you know, and, and I've heard different things, maybe even worse than obviously Katrina, you know, New Orleans and, and Houston now. And, um, you know, right. we want to be ready. We want to be able to help. But man, I'll tell you, it reminds me of Katrina because I don't know if you remember that, but, you know, I know with our USAR team, we deployed to Katrina got back and I was only back in town for less than a week, I think. And we we're deployed to Houston for Hurricane Rita. And thank right, God. I do remember kinda, that. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of deviated Houston. And, but um, I think this could be, you know, same situation. I, I, you know, we want to help um, if we can, if it ha- but you know, I'm praying and hoping that it just, it just avoids us. I mean, I think right now everybody's taxed where it's going to really exhaust the FEMA system, the government system and all these NGOs. Where do we yeah. all go? You know, so many are in Houston right now. I know that we're at Region 9. We're fixing to send 150 people on the uh, on the 8th to go out there to Houston. So, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, like one of those. And that's been, that's one of the kind of the cool things. And it really made me proud because when I first joined TR, I was a Region 6 volunteer and I joined Team Rubicon to start to look at maybe developing water rescue ops for the region, not knowing a lot about the organization. And then realizing that really it wasn't something that was in our um, long-term, you know, goals at that time. So I, I drank the Kool-Aid though. And, you know, and I, obviously I, I worked for them for almost four years in, in the director of field operations and then IMT chief position developing that. And this deal in Houston is exactly what I kind of brought it all together for me. It was really exciting because we did the water rescue response and then transition into the large scale um, recovery ops. And I think right now they said they deployed over 200 people from team Rucon there so it's yep. already been the largest response. I think in Moore, Oklahoma, we had a total of 350 people. We're going to exceed that. And it's cool because that IMT now is running an area command. And Nick Merzlach, the current IMT chief, you know, I saw him and David and, you know, David and Jake and all those guys were there. And to watch that thing spin up and it's chaos, you know, it really is chaos. And those guys are doing mm-hmm. a great job. And I know that, you know, we'll probably learn a lot from this as we did with the water rescue thing, but it is really, I think, expanding our capabilities and an opportunity for us to see what we're capable of as an organization. So that, that's pretty exciting, I think, for anybody who's a Team Rubicon member and I probably for a lot of the other agencies and stuff who are due, you know, disaster response to be able to see this yeah. model. I, I'm not sure if it's ever been, been used in disaster response, but you know, maybe it has. Um, I've been doing this job for 30 years and I, I don't recall it ever happening this way. So I think this is an exciting and new, new frontier for everybody. So, so 
So congratulations cool on that too. for sure. Well, thanks, Todd. And I think the coolest thing from, from all the TR members that are, are listening to is we have 50,000 members right now. These are the things that will, will boost our, our um, fundraising, boost our membership, and boost the people who are actually um, qualified to respond, you know, because they'll go through roll call, they'll do their module one, they'll do their IS training, and they'll be ready to go. And mm-hmm. we're, we're going to send more people and have more people who are trained to respond and, and or qualified to respond. And, and so from a capabilities aspect for Team Rubicon, these events are huge. And so, you know, I, I do tell people to be patient if they're Team Rubicon members to realize that, man, there, you know, when you have over, I think they had over 3,000 people sign up for this first wave in, in Texas. And, you know, when you're still <laughs> in 300, there's a lot of people that won't be able to go and hopefully people understand that and are patient because, uh, you know, I know that the knock and the area commander are doing everything they can to try to engage as many people as possible. Well, man, if this, if this recovers anything like Katrina, everybody's going to have an opportunity to get a bite at this apple because we're going to need a lot of people going down there. And if, and if, uh, we get the, the second hit with Irma, we're, <laughs> we're going to, well, we're definitely going to have, yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that I've heard is that, you know, Jake, um, Jake Art, you know, CEO and COO, and then David Burke. What they're pushing here is they're really, <laughs> they're really going to try to get as many people as they can out there for as long period. So they're not talking about like a, a one to two month response. They're talking about potentially, you know, David told me the other day, you know, they're talking about maybe being in the Houston area um, for long term recovery too, which is something mm-hmm. that we've talked about that I'm able to, to necessarily get into and because of the bandwidth. It sounds like they're looking at that. So that's exciting for TR Nation too. All right, Vince, well, I'm going to let you get off the phone here since you can go to go get some rest, and, and let's talk a little later, and, and if we have to go respond again to the to Irma coming down the pipe, well, let's uh, talk about that and see if we can uh, kind of get more support for TR. Yeah, hey, thanks, Todd, and thanks for all you're doing out there and raising awareness and getting stuff out there. I appreciate it, and hopefully we catch up soon. All right, Vince, thank you so much for uh, for having this interview with us. And now to your regular scheduled interview about business emergency response training with Bill Cunningham. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. 315 and 314, there is at least one person that's been shot. Somebody is still shooting in sight. 453, I have a party shot here at the rescue high. Are you ready for the unthinkable? Call our friends at High Speed TACMED. They provide custom emergency planning and training that saves lives. With years of experience in law enforcement, search and rescue, responding to and managing large-scale incidents, HSTM will evaluate and prepare written plans, training sessions, drills, and debriefs, leaving you with the necessary tools and experience that can save lives. Call HSTM today to discuss your specific needs, and the staff at High Speed TACMED will help ensure that you are ready and you are in complete compliance. Call High Speed TACMED today at 805 805- 419-0024. That's 805-419-0024. The friendly staff at HSTM is standing by. Bring it up, bodies now. Get someone to the back as soon as you can. Rescue personnel. I got at least three to seven hits. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe, and today we have Bill Cunningham, and we're going to be talking about 
Bert and the business recovery team here. Bill, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got involved with Bert and what exactly Bert is. Well, thanks much. I appreciate it, Todd. Um, appreciate being here. You know, it, it, I'm a Midwestern guy. Uh, grew up in Torino Alley down in uh, outside of Kansas, and there were obviously uh, by its name, we lived with tornadoes. Uh, one night, I can remember being in the backyard with my dad. I was probably 12 or 14 years old, and we counted six tornadoes around us up in the sky. And you could see them trailing and coming up and down, and you realize the uh, the helplessness of that kind of situation. And there was a, a town just south of where we lived that was literally wiped off the map by a tornado back in the late 60s, which is when I was there. And the uh, they came up with a system, a telephone system that was rather unique for that time. And that was each town or city had a uh, their own phone company and they would send out an unbroken signal. In other words, your phone would just start ringing without the typical break we hear periodically. And that was a signal that meant get to safety now. And that usually meant get to an inside part of the house, get to your root cellar, get to the basement, get to it now. And it actually was very effective. So I kind of grew up in that kind of world. Went from there, you know, I went in, I was in the Coast Guard, kind of a, yeah, let's, let's help people, you know, help people in emergency situations, you know, was, was on several calls out of San Diego through the air station, um, was a tall ship sailor for some time, which is is kind of a fun thing on the side. It was kind of in my blood is to, to be helping people in, in, in large scale emergencies or whatever, just wanted to be that person. Didn't really have an interest per se in firefighting or, or, police work or anything like that, but just kind of wanted to be the regular guy that was helping. So that's kind of how I got started. Um, I had a good buddy of mine about, uh, oh, maybe 10 years ago, a real good friend of mine, who suggested that I volunteer at Homeland Security here. And I did. I took it up. And the job I had was coordinating businesses in the event of a large-scale emergency. And what they were thinking was, and this was around 2005, six, you know, that was a whole lot closer to 2001, you know, than 9-11 than we are today. And so everyone was still still hyper-focused. So they identified about 50 businesses in the Santa Ana area and said, uh, you know, what, what could you do to help our community? And so I started meeting with these people. I just started gathering businesses together. We started having meetings. We started having group meetings. And we started saying, okay, what, what can we do? Um, what's out there? What's available to us? And we didn't find much available. They're just, they're really, there's, there's a lot of stuff for, uh, for cities, municipalities, small, large. There's a lot of things for, for mega companies that have insurance companies that put in their own, you know, emergency teams inside a business, but just for the regular type businesses, there's just not. And we, so we just, you know, said we got to do something. So we started just gelling around with the idea of, of what do we do? Well, that's kind of how, how we got started. So, Bill, what exactly does BERT stand for again? BERT is Business Emergency Recovery Training. Okay. How does your program work, and how would you get involved in that? Well, well, the program works. It's basically what we did when, when we weren't able to find anything is that we were able to get a hold of um, CERT, and which you know we all know is community community emergency response team and maybe we don't all know that but in the emergency world it's a pretty you know common acronym and so we went through that program and then decided that cert is kind of a it's a great 
a great acronym. It's a great program. It really does powerful work inside the community. It makes people that go through it really understand and how they can support first responders. That didn't that didn't quite meet our need though. So we we came up with BERT. And the way we work, we started doing something similar to CERT which was a live training program, uh, was similar in the hours, uh, but we would, would just take business people and tweak it. And I'll give you an example. CERT will spend uh, a fair amount of time, rightfully so, explaining the, the, the uh, diamond placards you'll see on the outside of buildings or trucks, you know, what the different letters and numbers mean. And we realized as business people, we have to we have to pare this time down. We can't we can't let people go for 30 hours offsite. So we are different places that we can pare pare it down. So we just would ask the question: Is there any situation in that where you see one of those and it's safe to go near? <laughs> and the answer would be no. <laughs> so 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 we kind of pared it down to say: Okay, if you see one of those, your job is to keep people away from it. <laughs> doesn't matter what numbers they are or letters or colors or anything. Just get away from it and keep everybody around away from it. So that's, that's how we kind of, you know, took from there. So then we took that CERT course and then just narrowed it and narrowed it and narrowed it and made it very focused on business. And how do you take this inside your business um, rather than the individual learning information? How do you take the information and actually apply it inside your business? So how do you build your own ICS team? How do you set up an incident commander ahead of time? That's not the ICS system pure. The pure ICS system is the first person on scene becomes the incident commander, et cetera. Well, we say build it ahead of time and build some redundancies because you're going to be a closed group of people. You can deal with it. So build your teams. Take your safety team. Build it together so that your people know what to do. They can actually shift gears. And after having gone through the training, they can shift gears and then be able to manage any kind of situation. And so we have, it's about a six hour program online and live. We do, it's a hybrid program where we'll do some teaching by first responders. We'll teach some of the key elements, but then we will uh, have people do take testing and and do courses um, on their own between. And then we integrate, which, which is really pretty important. We integrate an app that actually helps to manage a situation. So that you've got an instant you know, that the ICS system, as as we all know, is is key and predicated upon taking good notes, knowing who's where. Uh, the app actually integrates all of that to it. So we have the similar modules to CERT. We have um, the ICS system. Um, and so there's a whole whole module describing what the ICS system is so that people can understand it. If they had to work with first responders, they would at least be able to know the vernacular. But then we, in the app world, we, we download the app. We teach people how to download the app. Uh, the next module is emergency planning. And so how do you actually start to build your business in an emergency plan around your business? And then through the app, we'll, we'll start sending and receiving broadcasts. So how do you broadcast out to your people so you can instantly communicate with everyone that's out there if there's something big that happens? Um, there's a medical triage portion. And that we then have emergency documents inside the app, which will, you can see how to do CPR, how to do, you know, first aid. You can write access instantly in this one place, all of those different aspects. 
if there's a, a fire safety module so that if someone needs to send an alert, well, we'll teach it from the you know fire safety, but then also on through the app, I need to send to an alert. I've got an issue with a medical emergency or there's a fire here. Uh, by hitting one button on the app, it triggers, there's no tracking beforehand, but it triggers, tells your managers exactly where you're standing and what your emergency is. So just by hitting the one button, you can go dealing with the situation and help can be coming to you with nothing more than just hitting the single button. Wow, that's, we that's, have, a, that's, it, a, that's a pretty powerful tool uh, right there. Oh, well, it's an amazing tool. And, and what it does further than that is that, you know, what, once you've got people that are trained so that they understand how to use the information and how to use these tools, if, for instance, there's um, an injury on a machine or somebody's collapsed, you can send the app, send the alert, um, your managers, they could be in Georgia. It doesn't make any difference. They could just respond to you, know exactly where you are. You open a video and you could be, they could see exactly where you are, what's going on, what's happening real time right now, and be advising you exactly how to handle things. And it's amazingly powerful so that you're now getting, you're having resources instantly. You know, the CPR, if, if CPR isn't started within minutes, there's virtually no chance of, of someone surviving. And so if you're having to set, run off to find, get help and come back, all that time is, is wasted. You're immediately able to go to work and people can start coming to you. How big can and, you scale this thing? Oh, there, there's no limit to it. As a matter of fact, we're, we are right now, as a matter of fact, uh, next week, we are training, starting the training in the island of Anguilla, in the British Virgin Islands. Wow. It's an entire island. Wow, so, that's great. So the scalability, yeah, the scalability goes from, you know, if you had two or three people in your operation to an island, to a city, to we're, we're working with the Irvine Chamber of Commerce, um, you know, with a, an entire city, with a region. Uh, right now we're talking also with um, volunteer firefighters up in, uh, in the Northwest. So the scale is, is unlimited. Wow. And, and the beauty of it, the beauty of it is and the really powerful thing that's coming out that we're, we're probably most excited about is uh, we've, we've trained, for instance, all of the drivers in Irvine for waste management, all of the, the waste drivers. So they have, and they've all become certified. So they have 125 certified emergency managers driving around the city of Irvine all day, every day. But bigger than that, now they don't have the app yet. They, they've been trained a couple of years ago. We're just now rolling out the app with them. But bigger than that is that if if a driver comes across an issue and he may be Spanish speaking, he can actually type in to the app, send the alert, people know where he is, so they can start sending resources, but he can actually type in in Spanish what the issue is and the receiving telephone will translate it into whatever language they are. Wow, that, that's cool right there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know that I've re responded to some calls where, where language barrier is a big deal and something like that would be really, uh, sure. uh, really sure. cool. What's your reach right now? Right now, we're, we, well, we've trained actually almost 50 businesses. Um, and there's been one or two people from about 50 different businesses here in Southern California. They're at all different levels of embrace, you know, bringing it into their company and out. You know, we're actually getting a little more traction outside of Southern California. I think we're uh, one of the things we've, we're finding at uh, Irvine when they did a, a an analysis of what's going on is that we have a complacency here. You know, Southern California, we're in a pretty pretty unusual situation with you know wonderful you know uh, mutual aid. You know, things just happen. People don't think about any kind of large scale emergency. So uh, outside of Southern California, we're having more, much more success than we are here locally at home. I kind of see your app also being used for for businesses that have large campuses, such as like Google or, or you know. 
know, like Toyota used to have here in, in Torrance, where there's people, people all over the place, and there needs to be 24-hour uh, contact with that. But I do see some some really useful areas for your app. So have you reached out to, to larger companies like the Google? I mean, I don't want you to tell me exactly who you're doing business with. But, you know, but have you reached well, out to companies I'm, like the Googles and stuff like that? We, what we're doing is we're right now in, in discussions with several companies, um, OSHA has a program called VPP, which is a Voluntary Protection Program, and it's for the largest corporations. I mean, they're, they're industrial facilities, and we're in discussions with several of them throughout the state of, of California uh, for doing just that. Um, I'm not free to, you know, to, as you said, to have to have the discussion, but we're, that's what we're talking about. One is a, a large, uh, be generic enough, is a, a uniform delivery company. And one of their challenges is drivers at two in the morning will run into a challenge. Um, and how do they, how do you get resources to them? Uh, so we're we're talking with them about, about that aspect. We're working with uh, some of the refineries because they have issues with having iPhones or, or cell phones inside facilities. So working with other vendors to be able to get secure devices so that things could be handled instantly inside refinery um, so that a, in, in that world there's a thing called a near miss that's very critical um, and so near misses can be documented instantly and so that's that's our focus you know is large industrial companies actually is our focus right now um, here in the state of California do you see a, uh, a nexus with your your BERT program into say schools and universities I think probably what we're finding so far is the nexus is into the private schools and universities. Part of the issue is budgeting, but the other is the the public schools have, the, the teachers and the staff have a fair amount of management and training. The app more or less rolls right in very seamlessly to them, and so that works very well. As a matter of fact, we're, we're working with a, a local school district right here right now, actually through about a half a dozen, uh, but BERT is working right now at my daughter's high school and we're rolling it out. So that works as well. The BERT aspect, which is the training aspect to it, more works for companies and corporations because you have in, in a school, you have pretty much a, a kind of a standard. Everybody's got a certain level of training and understanding of and management of people, whereas businesses, it's all over the place. Our nexus, we, we believe, is more going to be industrial business, um, you know, chambers of commerce, bringing all of their businesses together, et cetera. Is there a violent uh, person or active shooter type of, uh, of response for your app as well, or is that something outside of that? No, we have, we have actually a, uh, a pretty comprehensive section of the app that does have active shooter in it where we, we talk pretty clearly about, uh, in the, well, there's an app where you can lock down a facility for sure. You could just hit a button and lock down your entire facility. So that works. But then there's the training aspect is understanding the mindset of of, a, of an active shooter. And then we encourage virtually everyone, and I'll, and I'll suggest this to, uh, and I'll even go out on a limb and, and suggest it to, to your listeners and the readers of this, is to search online for something totally outside of ours. Um, it's called Run, Hide, Fight. And I would say look for that video. Uh, if you have any concern whatsoever about active shooter for yourself or your family, look for that video and watch it. It is probably one of the most powerful things I've ever seen. It's by Department of Homeland Security. It's found in English and Spanish and other languages. Uh, it's it's a super powerful thing for, that is the buzzword of the day is is active shooter. That will help. We get into more the mindset. So then the preparation, you can under, a company can understand why an active shooter might find their place uh, appealing. And then they can start thinking about why, you know, not to do that, you know, and what, what can they do? Let's uh, take a quick break here, and uh, we'll come right back after we hear a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. 
If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com. And welcome back from that break. Thank you so much for listening. And, and again, I'm here with Phil Cunningham, and we're talking about his program and his app, the BERT, uh, the Business Emergency Recovery Training, um, and the app that goes along with that with keeping your businesses and the businesses within your community prepared for uh, any kind of emergency and also a great communications tool so people can reach out in that time of crisis to get the proper authorities and and help that they need um, at that uh, place of the crisis. So Bill, you know, just kind of go back on to what we're talking about before the break. So with the active shooter thing going on, this app has the ability to, with a one push button, how does that work? Does it contact the authorities within the business or does it contact and it doesn't have to be the active shooter but anything as far as that goes does that one button push does it contact the people in the business or does that go right to 911 what exactly does that portion of the app do for you well that is that is a phenomenally great question um, and I, I really appreciate that um, this app it, and our training in no way replaces any aspect whatsoever of 911 so if you find your, if anyone finds themselves in any kind of situation and they need to dial 911, if they ever have a thought, oh, should I do the app first or 911 first? Boom, 911 first all the time. You know, it's, it's a, that's a, and I can't stress that enough. This is a, uh, uh, this is not a replacement in any way for 911. So then to get to your question, the idea is to get, the whole concept of BIRD is to take care of ourselves until first responders arrive. And sometimes that arrival could be minutes. Um, if it's a large-scale emergency, it could be an extended period. If you've got a large campus, they could be bouncing around trying to find you. So the idea is until uh, first responders arrive, how do we take care of ourselves? How do we react to situations? So that's that's the main aspect. First responders are, uh, if, if a company has, we do have companies that have BERT and have the app, they will, first responders are welcome to, we could give them access, a company can give them access to it so they can be notified. We find that perhaps it doesn't necessarily work as well because there could be a minor thing, you know, that is, doesn't rise to the level. It could be just a cut, you know, or something that uh, somebody's going to go to urgent care and they don't want to, you know, so the managers can make the decision. Um, so that's where if one sends an alert, it typically goes to their management and whoever their safety management is or their senior management, and they can make the instant decision of um, it has this reached a level of dialing 911 and then they would do it themselves or, or is this something? we can handle internally or is 911 overwhelmed you know right, if there's right. a, any kind of large-scale situation you know reaching 911 and the and the reality is and there's there's no magic list but if there's a large-scale emergency you know if you were to, to think about where 911 is the the first responders where they're going to respond if you think of a of a list and you put businesses on that list in our thought every single other entity is going to be above us right <laughs> schools and, and hospitals and nursing homes and uh, facilities and government agencies. And, and no matter what you keep adding, nine, uh, businesses just keep moving down to the bottom. And the reason is, it, it, it makes sense. These businesses are typically adults. They can take care of themselves. They can work together, whereas virtually everyone else has a wider scope where they're dealing with uh, other people who can't. So the concept is uh, if, if Bert 
if is needed, if the training is needed, you can't get to 911. That's where the key is. But there's no replacement whatsoever to it. Now back all the way to your question about the lockdown. Uh, there is a button inside the app with a lockdown up there, and it's intended to be a through training a super last resort i am literally on a lockdown this is this is not a situation i see somebody with an ak-47 or something and you hit that button and it goes three two one boom and every single person in your cycle in your circle gets a notice that this facility is on lockdown well, the manager great, will then take over communicating Right. I mean that right. that that, that so, takes that that takes that delay in the decision of whether we're going to lock down or not away. Because if a, if a guy who's on the factory floor can push that button and say, "Yep, I see somebody who's dangerous. I'm going to push the lockdown down on it," and uh, everybody's alerted on that, that's that's great. Because I mean, sometimes the first time we're going to hear anything about anything is when we hear that gunshot. And if we could have something, exactly, make, yeah. And you know, I mean, right. well, one of the things, and, and I don't know how it is for that personal business, that, that particular business, but I'm telling people out there right now that if you guys have that ability to do that that's powerful and the one two if somebody does it by mistake no when i see a mistake but they saw something they thought it was it you, you got to make sure they don't get in trouble for that because you don't want to take that that power away from exactly them. man that's that's exactly. some good stuff right there well let me let me just make one more point if i could and that is there is to keep a prankster away it is not anonymous oh, right, so right. it, if if somebody hits that button you know the person who did it and exactly where they're standing on your facility. Oh, that's great. You know, so, so, so it's not, so there's, there's always, I always get the pushback. It's like, Oh, we we just have somebody who wants to pull a prank. That's fine. You're going to know who it is. It's not like when we were in high school and the kids would walk by and pull the fire alarm, you know, and then run, (laughs) you know? Uh, So what's the difference between somebody who went and say took a community emergency response team training um, out in the, in their community and then, or somebody who's taking the BERT training inside the business. Is there a focus difference or? Absolutely. There's a lot of similarity between the two. The FEMA program is excellent. We use a lot of the slides. We use a lot of the verbiage. We use a lot of the training. However, the focus with CERT is to take the lead person inside your community, in your, in your cul-de-sac. Take care of your people that are inside your cul-de-sac. Do you have enough water? Is the, is the neighbor next door, elderly neighbor, um, okay? These are all phenomenally wonderful type things. Bert moves into the business world because a business is unable to take and take a, a certain number of people and take them away from the business for 30 some hours of training offsite and then at the end have have just kind of a core amount of training bert takes all the training and then implements it to a we call it a compliance book where you're actually filling out questions and building an emergency action plan section by section throughout the book. So at the end, you have all of the elements for your business of exactly how you're going to handle an emergency. You're going to know who is the safety team, who is who is the 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 company's uh, emergency manager or the uh, the team leader that's going to keep track of the scope of the incident or the medical team leader. You're going to know when you get through the training, you're going to know every single thing that's happening and you're going to be able to bring it back to your safety committee to to tweak it and let's okay, let's implement this inside the company. So it gives a full workbook of of how to implement these things inside your safety team and inside your company. That's great. And I mean, that's 
it's when you have a takeaway like that, and that's that's something that a lot of businesses struggle with. You know, sometimes they hire uh, business consultants to come and write a an emergency action plan or emergency response plan, and it's a, it's boilerplate and it doesn't really fit that that company. And this way, you're building stuff right from the ground up that fits that company. That's some really cool stuff there, Bill. Well, I appreciate that. One of one of the things and and. That that we often say is how many binders are on the shelf behind the safety manager, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh. <laughs> so you know. So. <laughs> well, speaking of binders, kind of switch the questions around here for a little bit. And one of the things I like to do from all my guests, those of you who've been listening to this podcast for a while, we'll get this question coming up. So, what book? Do you recommend to somebody who wants to be involved in something like BERT or emergency response or emergency management for their business? Well, there's there's a couple of things. You know, there's one book that I want to get to, but there's a couple of other things that uh, that I'm going to encourage. One is there's a, an American Red Cross has done some amazing studies of where America is in readiness for any kind of disaster, where the country is and where each municipality is. And it's pretty sobering as to where things are. There's one that said, uh, I'll I'll read from the American Red Cross Preparedness Survey in 2006, only one in 10 American households have taken the appropriate preparedness steps, emergency plan, emergency supply kit and training and first aid and CPR. Um, Those kind of facts from these kind of articles, that preparedness survey from the aftershock of Katrina, you study any of those documents and and learn about the actual preparedness of our communities. And it's easy to see where we need, where we must step up. And, And we have, we can't count on our first responders. And I'm not saying it from a negative perspective is that they are going to be so taxed the, the, the ratio of first responders to our people are just, it's astronomical. And, and so we have to, to rely on ourselves to, to step up and take care of ourselves and others inside our businesses and recover as quickly as possible. But I'm going to say the, the book that I come back to all the time is The Servant Leader. I'm in servant leadership. And there's, there's actually several different uh, versions of the book. And what I found inside there is there's a whole discussion about how people react situations. And what I love about the the BERT training, and I'm very passionate about it, you can hear my, my voice and my family and, and friends, everyone, you know, know that, you know, uh, they call me BERT, <laughs> you know, is that uh, there's a there's a need to understand where people are and how can you meet them where they are and guide them to where you think they need to be. And that's what's so important in the BERT training is how do you how do you handle a, a room full of people who are panicking? How do you guide them where you need to be? And if you've got that mindset that comes out of that servant leader and that servant leadership, you can instantly react to how people are looking at you and how they're reacting um, because you can see exactly where they're coming from. So that that's one that I just think is, is, is an immensely powerful one that I that I reread and I have notes and um, tabs and when I'm sitting on hold waiting for someone, I'll just pick it up and, and just look at a section and, and kind of reinforce. Books like that, that's exactly what we're looking for. Those that you reread and, and you know those are the ones that you're going to give somebody someday if, if you have a, a new employee who's going to get into leadership. Thank you so much for, for that. Hey, Bill, so before we let you go, how do we get in touch with you? And if somebody wants to implement the BERT program in their business, how, how can they find you? Let me, let me mention one other thing and then I'll answer your question. Oh, sure, and ahead. that is 
from our our servant leadership and our focus of moving the bird training out is that we believe it's important that every family member of every person who's trained has this available training. And so we offer it for free to all of their family members. Wow, that's great. So so a, a person who is goes through the training and then says, oh, you know, my, if I'm going to be at work, what's going to be happen? I can't get home. They know their families are taken care of. That just relieves one aspect of it. And so that's our push out to the families. And that happens. We actually get that people retaking the course again and again. And then so thank you. The, uh, the shout out to us where the, the website is burtinc.org www.bertinc.org and our telephone number is 714-838-2923. We're here in Southern California and you can reach me at bill.cunningham, C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M at bertinc.org. Wow, Bill, thank you so much. And for everybody, if you guys didn't uh, write that down, I'll definitely put that information down in our show notes at the bottom of the uh, uh, of the podcast here. And again, Bill, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for taking your time. I really look forward to seeing uh, the BERT program grow, and I'd like to have you back on sometime to see your uh, progression. Well, thanks much, Todd, and, and you're doing great work over there as well, Dan Weekly. Thank you. Super job. All right. Thank you. Thank you.